on this episode number 100 of life and lessons you can probably tell from my voice which is going a bit right now i sit down and i spend over an hour answering your questions Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 100 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. And here we are, we have reached it, episode 100, two years in the making, literally dozens and dozens of hours of audio, countless hours of sitting around recording these things, editing them, uploading them. We've reached it, the first big milestone episode, Uh, and I couldn't be more excited to spend the next hour or so answering your questions. So if you follow me on Instagram, uh, or if you have... uh, part of the newsletter group you will have seen that for the last couple of weeks I've been asking for questions because what I want to do with this episode rather than it being a usual episode where I speak to a guest or where I give you an update on what's been going on in life I want to use this episode as a chance to reflect because a lot has happened in the last two years for all of us myself included right Um, and I think it would be a shame to have got to this episode and just treated it like a completely normal episode And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been asking for your questions. There are about 20 or so which have come through. And today, what I plan to do is basically just sit and answer them one by one for as long as it takes. There is no time limit on this episode. It will probably be longer than usual, but I put aside a couple of hours. So hopefully we can get through them all and give you some answers. Um, Just before then, whether this is your first episode or whether you have been listening for the last two years or indeed anything in between, I think now is a really good time just to say thank you. Um, This podcast started off as something that was only ever going to be around for a year. If you're an OG listener, you'll remember that this was going to be tracking my life in the 52 weeks between the ages of 24 and 25, just to see how much could really change in a year of life. But then, of course, this time last year, we got to episode 52 And this was just too valuable of a outlet for me to end it, right? I've said this a million times before, but this really is the closest thing to therapy I think I ever have had or ever will have in as much as every week to be able to sit down with a microphone in front of me and just think out loud, just talk about life and the things that have gone well and the things that perhaps aren't going as well and to vocalize the challenges I'm going through. And then more than that, to get your feedback knowing that there are people on the other end of this, like you listening, who aren't passive listeners. You know, you will get in touch, you message me, we have conversations, you share ideas. Um, There's a nice little community here. Uh, And truthfully, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't still be going at episode 100 if it wasn't for you listening right now. Um, And so thank you. And that was really backed up yesterday when Spotify released their... 2021 wrapped numbers Um, some of the stats in there whilst relative to big podcasts are tiny there were just some numbers in there that really blew my mind for example the fact that 
there are 107 of you who listened to this podcast more than any other podcast in the past year. Like, that's mental to me. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I know where the bar is set. I know how high a level of content is out there. And so the fact that, you know, there are hundreds of you listening right now and 107 of you had listened to this podcast more than any other, um, it, it came at a nice time because it really just backed up uh, the fact that this is something that's worth continuing with. So without the way, what I'm going to do is literally screen in front of me, read through these questions one by one. Uh, there's no planned answers here. This is literally just going to be me um, responding to them as I read them. Um, I've tried to order them in a way that kind of makes sense in as much as there are a couple of questions that are similar to each other. So I've kind of paired them together. Uh, but other than that, there's no prep here. It's just going to be me answering some questions. So here we go. Question number one, and this was asked by Ollie. He said, what made you start the podcast? Um, and if I actually rewind to what I was just saying, this podcast was only ever going to be a 52 week experiment of sorts, right? So November, 2019, I took a month away from social media and it was one of the most refreshing and focused months of my life, if not the most focused month of my life, right? The hours I won back, the time and attention that I suddenly found myself with um, was great, but I felt that I was missing the outlet of being able to share ideas and communicate and so on. And so I thought that I would um, take that extra time that I had won, take that extra mental bandwidth and put it into something that is slightly less fickle and slightly less transient than a 240 character tweet, right? Because tweets are great. I like sharing ideas on Twitter when I occasionally use it but they kind of disappear and you can't really look back on a tweet and understand where your mind really was at. They lack nuance and they lack depth. And so when all that came together with the fact that 25 had always been this big age for me, an age that I had put for whatever reason on a pedestal, right? I used to look up to people like Jamal Edwards and Adnan Ibrahim as they were growing businesses a few years ahead of me. And it seemed to me that when they reached the age of 25, their life seemed to be in a good place from like a business point of view, from a self-development point of view. They each seemed to really know who they were as people by that age. From a finance point of view, basically from everything, when they got to 25, their life seemed to be in a good place. And so as I had this additional time and attention just before I turned 24, a couple of years back, I thought, why don't I document in a more meaningful way than a couple of tweets that year leading up? to 25, right? The 52 weeks between the ages of 24 and 25 to see just how much my life could change in a year. And so that's what I did. Spoiler, my life didn't change that much, um, not least because 10 episodes into that podcast, coronavirus happened, uh, lockdown happened, businesses kind of regressed for a few months. I wasn't out there experiencing things for a few months, the same as Azul. And so Whilst it was an interesting learning curve for those first 52 weeks, it was actually the, like I said a minute ago, the, um, it was like the non-tangibles that I actually took away um, most. It was the, the feeling that I had an outlet, the, the confidence that I knew that I could sit down at the end of every week and kind of debrief with myself, speaking into this microphone, talking as if I'm speaking to somebody, 
uh, and allowing myself to process thoughts as I did that. That's really what I took away from those first 52 weeks. And so, like I say, that's kind of why I continued it. Um, and that's why it's hopefully going to continue for many more episodes to come. Uh, the next question, do you ever listen back to old episodes of the podcast and realize how much you've changed? I think the biggest thing that has probably changed in the past hundred episodes, and this is due to nothing other than time under tension, is just that I've become more fluent and more confident when it comes to sitting here and speaking like this. And that has, of course, bled over into other areas of life, whether it is talking to a client, either in person or on the phone, trying to hold a conversation with somebody I've just met, or even just having a more interesting, more meaningful and more fruitful conversation with somebody that I've known for years. I think forcing myself to sit here as I have for a hundred weeks in a row, sometimes on my own, where I have to kind of go brain to mouth and make sure that everything I'm making saying makes sense. And sometimes with guests where I need to make sure that my question asking skills are really precise, because when you have an hour with somebody who has a whole lifetime of experience and stories, you better be asking good questions, right? And so I think other than that, the fact that I have progressed as a communicator, for want of a better word, I don't really listen back and notice huge differences in life. And that might be because, you know, the lockdowns, the COVID and so on means that tangibly not a lot has changed as such. It might be because I was already in a fairly good place with many of those foundations when the podcast started. Uh, but something I do really frequently actually, is I will scroll back 52 episodes and I will listen to whatever episode came out exactly a year ago on any given week. And the reason I do that is less to remind me about how much I've changed per se, and more to remind me, and I really do this quite often, about how much generally can change in a year. Um, it's really easy, particularly when you're running a business and everything is kind of going at 100 miles an hour constantly and you're focused on both the big picture and the minute details to just actually forget how much things progress. Um, it's the whole analogy of like a frog in boiling water, right? If things change really slowly and really subtly over time, it's easy to convince yourself that actually nothing is changing in life, that you're waking up today and living the exact same day that you did a year ago. But when you have audio proof when you have almost a printout of what was going on in your brain exactly a year ago, alongside all of the context of here are the things I got up to this week, here is what the business was doing this week, here are the things I'm finding challenging this week. When you put all of that together and then you reflect on it a year later, or as will soon be the case two years later, as we push more and more episodes out there, it allows you not only to realize that things do change, which is of course a good thing, but also that many of the worries, many of the issues that you thought were really major a year ago, they felt huge at the time. They felt like a really big deal, but listening back to them with the hindsight and the benefit of a year of space between you and those problems, you realize that most issues aren't that big. We spend our lives worrying about things which really don't matter, right? 95% of the issues that you face in life, of the things that you panic about, of the, the worries that keep you awake at night, they're really not important. And it's hard to believe that. It's hard to trust that, even for me, right? But when you can listen back to yourself panicking on a microphone about something that was a huge deal, and then when you're actually listening back to it, you've forgotten it even happened, 
that's just really good evidence that, you know, things do change and things that seem a big deal at the time maybe aren't as big a deal. Next question is, so these two questions are kind of related, one from Chloe and one from Peter. Chloe asked, what is your best memory of the past two years? And Peter asked, what is your best memory of the past year? Um, I think my best memory of the past two years was Berlin, funnily enough, with Chloe, um, February 2020. So we went to see H and Louis Capaldi in these like super budget hotels, um, did the trip completely on the cheap, like cheap hotels, cheap flights, and then just gig tickets to see H in a tiny little venue um, surrounded by German people who probably weren't as big of H's fans as we were. So that was just an interesting little experience. And then the next day, Louis Capaldi in a big arena. Uh, it's the first time I had seen Louis live as like a standalone gig. Um, and then bumping into H outside of that gig and then like the food and the lime scooters and just everything on its own would have been a great memory if it was just that. But then when you consider the fact that a few weeks later, literally like a month later, lockdown happened and we were all at home and nobody could travel and there were no cheap flights or cheap hotels or gigs or seeing friends. I think that maybe I held that memory up um, a bit on a pedestal because I did Paris a few weeks later, saw Stormzy, but that was kind of less memorable more generally. But then having like a year basically without any gigs or travel to kind of reflect on that couple of days in Berlin which by the way as a city really surprised me I think I said this at the time probably like episode 15 or 20 that I thought that I would have no interest in Berlin I don't know why but I imagined it to be a very grey and a very industrial city that didn't really offer much but actually I kind of fell in love with it when I was there and so like the settings and the things we did and the food and just everything all together that would definitely have to be the best memory of the past two years the best memory of the past year is a more difficult one. I don't know about you, but it feels like this year has flown by. Like we're, we're in December, which is mad to me. New Year's Eve felt like maybe, I don't know, four months ago. Um, there's been some nice things this year from a business point of view. Uh, just the new offerings that we're building really taking shape is nice, but that's not really a memory. Uh, from this podcast, you know, some of the guests that I'd had on, uh, were really big guests that I'd always wanted to have on. So that was nice. But as I'm searching my brain and this, I'm not sure if this counts because this was, I suppose it counts because it was midnight on New Year's Eve of this year, right? So there I was sat in Corby. Um, and I think my mum had actually gone to the toilet or something at midnight. So I was just sat in this room on my own as Big Ben hit midnight. Um, and I actually got quite emotional because... I mean, obviously, I didn't know what we had coming with the, the January, February, March, April lockdown and everything. But it felt like after what was the weirdest and worst year of all of our lives, where hope was almost stripped from us, right? We had nothing to look forward to. We had nothing to look back on fondly because it was a shit year, frankly. That first minute of 2021, where at least for a moment, it felt like hope had returned, like all of that stuff was behind us. That year that we all wanted to end had ended. And then we could eventually, obviously it took longer than we would have hoped, but we could have got back to living a more normal life. Um, it's a weird one, but I think that is my favorite memory. And I know that it's weird that I was sat in a room on my own feeling a bit emotional 
at midnight. But there have been lots of great memories that are kind of good, but I think as a profound memory and one that has stuck with me, it was that feeling of thinking that hope had returned. So I guess that's the answer there. Um, another one from Peter. Have you decided to actually try and understand the value of the cryptoverse? Now, Peter is, of course, the person who encouraged me to invest in Bitcoin. Uh, I've since sold my Bitcoin for a profit. Won't go into um, the big old story there. It's actually down from when I sold it. I'm sure it'll be up. I'll probably buy in at some point. But there's nothing to say that I don't appreciate the value of cryptocurrency, of the metaverse, of NFTs, right? I am sometimes critical, quite tongue-in-cheek about these things. Uh, and half of that, truthfully, is probably because I don't understand them nearly as much as I ought to. But with that said, as fundamental technologies, I entirely believe in them, right? I mean, look at what Facebook did recently. When Facebook as a holding company changes its name to Meta, when it really signals that they are going to build a metaverse and bring commerce into this virtual world and how that connects in with the ownership through NFTs of digital assets and how that connects in with commerce and payments with cryptocurrencies. Like this stuff isn't theoretical anymore. This stuff is happening in the present and it feels very early and it feels very confusing right now because to a lot of people, myself included, things like NFTs just kind of look like some people on Twitter buying very expensive pictures of apes. And that was originally my view of it. I was like, what is going on? This makes no sense to me. But the more that I try and learn, and it's a slow learning curve, right? Because I'm not investing any huge amount of time into attempting to learn this stuff actively. But the more I see and the more I hear and the more I read and the conversations I have around all of these new technologies, the more I become convinced that they're not this fringe group of people on the internet who have got carried away with some sort of theoretical idea, but rather they are like a real-time manifestation of the future being built in front of us. And so should I know more about the cryptoverse, about blockchain, about um, metaverses, about NFTs? Yes. Am I learning about it slowly? Yes. Do I believe in the value of it? I do. Top five favorite self-help books. This question's from Andy. Oh, I'm probably going to list off more than five in no particular order. And I'm not sure if all of these would necessarily be considered self-help books per se. But these are the books that over the past four or five years I've read that have stuck with me the most. And the only measure I'm using here when I say stuck with me the most is they're the ones that are about to pop into my mind as I try and think of books that have shaped me as a person. Uh, so I'd say the first one, and again, this is in no particular order, is a book called Happy by Darren Brown. Now, I've definitely spoken about this before on the podcast. Darren is, of course, the bloke from telly who does the weird mind tricks on people. But he wrote a book a few years back called Happy, which essentially looks at the the psychology and the philosophy of happiness and really delves into what truly makes us happy. And as like a headline view of some of the concepts in the book, it's really easy to believe that things like achievements or material possessions or climbing a hierarchy are the things that make us happy. But actually something that I took away from that book is that they're not it is the most simple things in life. There's an Ed Sheeran lyric, 
from a couple of weeks ago, his new album, where he says, what is it? Ain't it funny how the simplest things in life can make a man? And it's kind of that, right? I think that society has happiness wrong, mainly because there is a financial incentive for companies to promote that buying the next thing, the next iPhone, the next car, the next whatever it is will make you happy. But I really highly recommend reading that book just so that you can have like a, a foundational safety net when it comes to understanding what really will make you happy. And then you can check your decision making as you go through life against that, right? So if you're unsure as to whether to make a decision, but you understand in proven terms what makes people happy, then you can compare it against that. Similarly, if you're feeling tempted to buy something which is a bit of a stretch for you, you know, it, it might financially put you out for a few months, but you're convinced that it will make you happy. You're convinced that you just need this one thing and then you'll be happy. I think that having some of the knowledge, and I'd be lying if I said I remember all of the knowledge from that book because I read it years ago, but having some of the knowledge from that book to kind of sanity check yourself against is definitely something that I found useful over the years. I'd say a second one, and it's going to be controversial because there are people who love to hate Jordan Peterson, but Jordan Peterson's book 12 Rules for Life um, was one that really stuck with me. I haven't read 12 More Rules yet, which I think is his latest release, essentially 12 More Rules for Life, but 12 Rules for Life, one of the big takeaways that I took from that that I still try and focus on today is the idea of, I think, in videos, anecdotally, he calls it like, tidy your bedroom before you go and criticize the world but essentially what he's saying or at least what I took from this concept is that it's really easy to feel angry about things it's really easy to feel like a victim and it's really easy to point out things that are wrong and injustices um, and then just kind of live your life through that paradigm but the way you make real change is by taking personal responsibility for yourself, for the things around you and for those around you and making change kind of closer to home, right? So you are in no position to be criticizing anybody or anything for doing something wrong or living in a way that isn't aligned with your beliefs if you can't even tidy your bloody bedroom. Now, of course, the book isn't suggesting that tidying your bedroom is always uh, that in the literal sense, like tidying your bedroom may be um, metaphorical for having that conversation with somebody that you've been putting off that's in the back of your mind that really causes disorder in your life because it's just not squared off. Maybe tidying your bedroom is finally paying down those debts that you've been accumulating for years and kind of balance transferring and ping-ponging around and it's there and it's causing you a problem but you haven't yet addressed it. I think to me what I took away from that book as one of the big rules was that you really need to focus inward on how you can improve yourself and what you can fix and what you can control. Um, and yes, by all means, if there is an injustice, point it out. Yes, by all means, if something is wrong in the world, speak on it. I don't think that these things are mutually exclusive, but the idea that so much that we neglect is within our control and when we take it from within our control and do something about it, that's a really practical way to make positive change in your life. And I think it's something that we all need to remember really quite often. A third book, and it's in a similar vein, is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Essentially, that book is, as the title suggests, about taking extreme ownership of everything in your life for very similar reasons, actually, to the previous point that I just spoke about 
in as much as um, there are things in your life that weren't your fault. That's a fact, right? There are things in your life that you can't control. That is a fact. But if you approach every situation, both good and bad, by taking personal responsibility for it. Now, I don't mean, rather the book doesn't mean making yourself a victim and blaming yourself for everything, but rather looking at a bad situation that you're involved in and asking, for example, what could I have done better or differently to have avoided this situation? Or if you're trying to get out of a situation or avoid something that perhaps isn't good for you, even if it's not entirely within your control, probing and asking what can you do about that situation to change it, to move forward, to step away. Because there's always something that we can do, right? We might not like the options, but we always have a choice as to which option we choose. A uh, fourth book, of course, that's going to be on the list is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. This is probably the one book which has changed my life the most. And it has been, I don't know, four or five years since I read it. I've never reread it. I probably ought to, to kind of refresh some of the finer points of the book and some of the nuances. But the main takeaway, as I'm sure you know, if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, because I probably made like 50 people buy this book over the years, is essentially that results in life aren't achieved through great leaps, right? Nothing happens overnight as a result of a single massive action. Actually, all of the worthwhile things in life, whether it is a relationship with somebody, whether it is growing a business or progressing in a career or building a home or starting a family or generating wealth, they're all a result of tiny actions that happen every single day and which compound. And they compound in the same way as compounding interest, right? So if you've ever had a loan or a credit card and you start off with a certain amount and in month one you pay interest on the certain amount and then in month two you pay interest on the certain amount plus last month's interest and so very quickly that small number can get very big because things multiply in a compounding way. Jeff makes the case that in life the same is true, right? There is this kind of uh, hockey stick curve when it comes to looking at any progress in life where things start out incredibly slowly and it's at that point whether it is in a career or a hobby or finance or anything people give up they look at it they say i've been going for seven months on this and nothing's happened like why has nothing happened this isn't going to work i'm going to give up but actually behind the scenes the compounding interest has meant that those seven months haven't gone nowhere they've been building up this balance which will double and then double again and then double again and the idea is that you really ought to just stick at things probably for longer than you think you should like really stick at things for years and years and make decisions in a really long-term way um, and commit to doing things consistently and it is that consistently sorry that consistent action over time uh, which is really gen what generates results I'm trying to think of a fifth book uh, that really impacted me Perhaps Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And that might be a weird one if you know what that book's about because I'm fortunate in as much as I don't think I've ever suffered with anything that comes close to depression or any sort of mental health issue. And yet I would say that one of the top five most important self-help books that I've read is about depression and is about mental health issues. So Johan uh, takes a look at studies and analysis and anecdotal stories to kind of pull together this case that 
the story that he was told about his depression and his mental health issues as a child by his doctor perhaps isn't the full picture. And he essentially says that he was told as a kid that depression was a chemical imbalance in the brain, that something had just kind of gone wrong, and that there's nothing he can really do about it to fix it other than to take a pill. And whilst I believe from memory the book says that, you know, uh, anti-depression medication is good and effective, it's not the only way to relieve yourself of depression. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here, don't take this as medical advice, and obviously go and read the book. And also that there are real-world, understandable, practical factors that lead people into depression. And they are things like social isolation and exclusion, like uh, lacking meaning in work, like um, perhaps not exercising. I don't remember if that's one of them, but basically he outlines this case of the things which through studies and which through stories can be proven to cause one to fall into a state of depression and therefore through inversion, taking action to uh, make new connections, for example, to find meaning for a hobby, for example, uh, is a way to kind of relieve yourself of some of the uh, symptoms that come along with that. Really interesting book because, you know, I think we're all prone, we're all susceptible in one way or another to slip into depression at some point in life. Um, from what I understand, there is some uh, some are more pre-exposed than others when it comes to depression, but like it's there for all of us. And it's almost inevitable that at some point in my life, I'm going to find myself in a situation uh, where I feel like I'm heading towards that. And so this book, more from a preventative point of view than a read this as medical advice point of view, uh, was just a really interesting one because I think that it has some really practical tips uh, and ones that I held on to. Um, I think that was five books. There's probably more. The second I stop recording this, I'm going to remember 10 more. So if I do, I'll put them into the show notes. But they're five books which, from memory, have really stuck with me and have kind of, in subtle ways, shaped the way I see the world or the way I approach situations. And so they are five books that I would recommend. Um, will you marry me? Sure. Why not? I mean, this is this is vanilla compared to some of the shit that I get sent on Instagram these days. Uh, my message requests are not the place to be. Uh, so yeah, why not? Uh, goals for next year. Now, this is an interesting one because it was actually this question, which was asked by Andy, uh, which actually made me start thinking about my goals for next year. So if you've listened to recent episodes of the podcast, you will, of course, remember me talking about things like Christmas and Black Friday and in the marketing world these are the busiest times of the year for us. And so I've been really focused on the operations of the business, right? The getting work out of the door, the managing client relationships and so on that I haven't really stopped to think about next year, to think about what I actually want to achieve as a person from January onwards. And whilst I haven't actually arrived at a set of goals yet, I'm probably going to do that thing that I planned to do last year and then couldn't because of lockdown, which is book a random hotel somewhere for a couple of days towards the very end of December and just spend that time sitting with myself, asking probing questions and kind of plotting where I really want life to be a year from now. Whilst I don't have those answers, I think that what I spoke about in last week's episode about foundations and about what I have done this year, which will give me a good platform for next year, is probably my answer to that question. In as much as we have done a lot of work 
in the business this year um, with things like processes, with things like the two areas of the business that we hope to launch at some point next year to really guide us towards having more direction and more intention in our actions. Now, all of that groundwork, all of those foundations are great. But what I really want to focus on next year from a business point of view is getting on with delivering on those promises that we've made to ourselves. So the goal from a business point of view would be just more doing, right? Doing the things that we have laid plans for that we're now well positioned to take action on. From a podcast point of view, it's hard to explain right now how much growth there is in this podcast. As in, in the next 12 months, I believe that this podcast has so much potential, mainly, if I'm being honest, because I've kind of neglected it for the past year or so, right? It was last December where I was recording a bunch of guest episodes where I was being really consistent, where I was enthusiastic about sitting down to record and turning this podcast into something bigger than it originally was. And, you know, those Spotify rap numbers I spoke about show that I got some of the way there. This year compared to last year, there were 292% more listeners on the podcast. And that's great. But I think that that is nowhere near where the podcast could have been and perhaps should have been if I was more consistent. And so the goal for the podcast next year is to be as consistent as I need to be every single Thursday, make time to sit down and record an episode, give it my all because sometimes I don't make the time and so I have to sit down and rush it and it's not great and it's not worth you listening to, frankly. And so that's not fair on you because you give me your time, but also really double down on guests. And this is the main reason why I'm so excited about the podcast next year, right? Because I had amazing guests this year, people who I truly admire, who I had incredible conversations with. Every single conversation that I had on the podcast this year has been so meaningful but there just weren't enough of them. I let the ball slip when it comes to reaching out to enough people to actually make those conversations happen. When it came to following through with booking people and as such getting enough of a body of work to then book bigger guests and bigger guests, right? Because it is this kind of chicken and egg situation where to get big guests, you need a big following. To get a big following, you need big guests. And I kind of got disheartened maybe halfway through the year And then things got busy. And so I kind of gave up on that. But some of the guests that we have already got booked in to record in January and February excite me so much. So, for example, um, you may have heard me refer to somebody in previous episodes as my favorite YouTuber, the single person on YouTube who I think produces uh, the best content for me, right? Just content that I like. They're booked on they're coming to have a conversation. That will be an episode early next year. Somebody who is an absolute titan in the worlds of advertising and behavioral economics. Um, Somebody who is like just such an incredibly intelligent, interesting, funny, witty person um, has been confirmed. They're coming on to record in February. And so just really seeing in front of me in the next year, the opportunities I have to grow this podcast listener numbers which in turn allows me to speak to and get access to more and more people. And then the chance to publish those conversations, right? Because the conversations are great, but being able to then share them with you and have a third person get involved with the conversation and kind of share your thoughts and message and whatever it is, like 
that really excites me. So from a podcast point of view, next year, my goal is basically just to take it more seriously. And I know that when I do, the upsides will be massive. And then from a life point of view, I really don't know. Like there are other things I want to do. Um, be more consistent with habits like 2017, 18, 19 were really good years when it came to making progress in life, um, like going to the gym more, eating better foods, all of these things that we tell ourselves we'll do in the new year. I did for a couple of years really consistently. And though they were small on their own, like the sum of all of those parts literally changed my life, right? It changed fundamentally the way I look at the world and view myself and my confidence and all of these things. But then in the past year and a half, two years, because of a mix of COVID kind of derailing things and the business getting really busy, I just let it all slip. Like hardly ever go to the gym. I eat shit food really consistently. My step count, for example, which is a fairly good indicator of how active I'm being and how much I'm actually looking after my health, terrible. And so I think that as a broad goal for next year, on a personal level, I just want to look after myself more to make sure that I'm doing the simple things that give me a good foundation and that also allow me to be the best version of myself. That sounds cheesy, but there are really simple things that we can all do that give us a good chance of having a good day. And when you have a bunch of good days in a row and that's a good month and then you have 12 of those together, that's when you really make progress in life. And so whilst this year, whilst last year, they have been all right, I think that if I spend next year really intentionally focusing on the small things and have that as a driving goal, I think that's where the real progress will come next year. Uh, next question, do you say the intro each time or is it automatic? So this is funny because <laughs> when, when this question was asked, but when they say the intro, by the way, they mean the part at the beginning of the episode where I say, um, what do I say? I've completely forgot it now. This podcast is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, of taking on some fairly unusual chat, that part, right? Um, the question is, do I say that each time manually, like a hundred times in a row, or is it like a clip that's pre-recorded? The reason that's funny is literally like an hour after that question was asked through Instagram, I was talking to Chloe by text and she asked the same thing. She was like, do you not like pre-record that? Is not, that's that not a clip? The answer is no. I literally sit there every time. And ironically, for the first time ever, just now about 20 seconds ago, I forgot it. But when I say this podcast is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only friends guaranteed of this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. I say that manually every single time. I can remember it off by heart. And I know for a fact that if ever I come to changing the intro of this podcast to something else, I'm going to accidentally at some point slip back into saying that one because I've said it so many times. So yes, it is manual. It is an automatic. I say it every time. What is the best thing a guest has told you this year? That's a tough one because, and I don't just say this to make the guests happy, Every guest has given me a lot, right? I've walked away from every single one of those conversations with something. And that's interesting, right? Because they have been with people from traffic cops to best-selling philosophy authors, right? Those two people live entirely different lives. And yet the lessons that they taught me all kind of feel related and all feel interconnected. 
and that might be something I speak about in another review episode at some point, just kind of weaving the webs and connecting the points of what guests have told me and what I've learned from them and how they all kind of relate. But to pick a single point is difficult, not least because the conversations were ages ago, <laughs> but I think one of the interesting ones that has always stuck with me is something which Chris Williamson shared, and it was the idea that he got from, I can't remember where, he does uh, say the name and give a source in his episode when he says this, but asking yourself, what do you want to want? So really interrogating, what is it you want in life? Because as simple a question as that is, right? What do you want to want? If you don't ask yourself that, you, me, we all slip into this habit of just kind of living life on autopilot, right? If you don't know that you want to be a healthy person, if you don't really make an effort to say, this is the person I'm going to be, your actions won't align. And therefore you'll never actually get to that place that you want to be or be that person you want to be because you've never just asked yourself the simple question of what you want to want. And more often than not, the things which we want, they require effort. And yet humans are conditioned and wired to take the path of least resistance. And so without even thinking about it, just automatically you are moving further and further away from those things that you truly want in life whilst time is slipping away every single day until you actually decide what it is that you want to want. And then you can build systems and you can build processes, then you can build habits and identities around that. But if you never ask yourself the question, you will live a life which never reaches those points. And when you think about it like that, that's quite scary, right? You will literally be on your deathbed and reflect on the fact that you didn't do the things you wanted to do. You didn't become the person you wanted to be. And some would say that that's, at least as a start, because you didn't define who you want to be. You didn't define what it is that you want. So if there was one takeaway, I think it might be that, what do you want to want? Uh, Ollie asked, how have you managed to be so consistent? I laugh as I read that question because the last 25 episodes or so have been anything but consistent. I mean, they've they've come out every week, minus maybe one week, but it hasn't been as consistent as it could have been from like uh, getting it out every Friday morning, recording it every fri Thursday evening and so on. I guess what Ollie's getting at here is how have I managed to, in the space of about 105 weeks, produce, edit and publish 100 episodes. Uh, two things I'd say, like not to reflect the implied praise away from me, but there are people out there producing far longer episodes several times a week, right? So my level of consistency, at least in my opinion, isn't really all that impressive. However, the reason I've done it rather than the way I've done it, is because this podcast means a lot to me. I've said this a million times and I truly mean it, but if nobody listened, I'd probably still sit here and do this. I may not publish it, I may not promote it, but what I learned in those first few episodes, which I spoke about earlier, the fact that vocalizing your thoughts and kind of sitting with ideas which have been in your mind and documenting them and then being able to listen back to them and have other people share their opinions and views and stories on the things that are going through your mind right now. And then all of those connections that come from that. I get all of that for like an hour a week. What else would I be doing with that hour? Sat watching YouTube, like sleeping, I don't know, just shit, just things which don't deliver value or trade one hour of my life a week 
for all of the benefits that come with this. So I think the reason that I've been so consistent is actually quite selfish because this podcast and those who listen to this podcast give to me far more than I give to you. And so it'd be silly of me not to be consistent. It'd be silly of me to drop the ball and mess around people who give me so much. Do you ever sit to record a podcast and just think, what should I talk about? I do actually, not that often, because generally speaking, it's it's split into nice buckets, right? I can talk about the business and what's happened in the business in the space of a week. And in business, a week is a long time. So generally things have happened. I can talk about where I've been and what I've been up to. And that's fairly nice because there's always at least one thing a week. Or I can just kind of sit and delve into a concept or an idea or a thought that I've had during the week. And so for the most part, I kind of have a fairly good idea in the back of my mind of what I'm going to talk about before I sit down in front of this microphone. However, there have been weeks, particularly this year, when things have been really busy, where I've had to squeeze in a recording like with no notice whatsoever, just because I've managed to find a spare 25 minutes. And in those episodes where I've given it no thought and where as a symptom of how busy I've been, I've had no time to reflect on the week period, let alone reflect on the week in such a way that when it goes brain to mouth, the words that I say kind of make sense. There are some times where I sit down and I think, what am I going to talk about this week? Like it feels like nothing interesting has happened, right? There are things which happen in the business, sure. But most of that, as I've spoken about before, is client work. And of course, our client work is bound by contracts. And those contracts speak about things like confidentiality, because of course, I can't sit here and tell you the ins and outs of any particular business or a project or a campaign or figures or anything like that. And so there are some times where in a week where all I've done is focus on work, I then sit down and I'm like, well, I can't talk about that and nothing else has happened. So this is going to be a sticky one. We get through them. Evidently, the podcasts are out there. I couldn't tell you what episodes are like that, but there are definitely some. And from memory, at least, I'm truthful about it. When that is the case, I will literally sit down and I'll be like, look, (laughs) you might not want to listen to this episode. It's going to be 17 minutes long and I'm really not going to say much. But yeah, sometimes there are difficult ones to record. Can you do a podcast about your time on The Apprentice? All of the tea and drama, please. Um, episode one of this podcast, all the way back then, I definitely speak about The Apprentice a little bit. I think I've also maybe answered some questions about The Apprentice since then. I'd be lying if I could tell you which episode, don't remember. Um, to be honest, although I'm happy to do it, listen, if you want to hear about the the eight days that I was on the BBC's Young Apprentice, if you want to hear about the two and a half times that I encountered Lord Sugar or the one and a bit tasks that I was a part of, I'm happy to talk about it. But there are two things I'd say. Number one, it's really not that interesting in as much as like it is a a managed and controlled production environment. So the good stuff that you see on TV is the absolute best of the best, right? Everything is filmed and recorded and listened to when you're lapel mic'd up. And so the best storylines are already on TV. They're there. You can watch them. And then anything which happens behind the scenes, A, has no bearing on the storyline because you are told by the production company that if you're not mic'd up and in front of a camera, you are not to speak about what's happening on the show. And so you just kind of talk about nothing, right? You talk about, oh, what do you do when you're back home? Like, 
mindless small talk because that is all you're allowed to speak about. And when you have, as we were at the time, a group of 12, uh, 16 and 17 year olds who don't really know each other in a house, knackered because you've been up since 6am filming um, and you've got like two hours before you sleep to talk, nothing really happens. And so look, I wasn't on the show long enough to get to know anybody at that point, of course. I now know a few of them now. Andrew, for example, great guy, still talk to him. But during the filming process, at least for the eight or nine days that I was there, not a lot happened. It really wasn't that exciting or dramatic. I think the closest thing to drama which happened is on one of our days off in between weeks one and two, uh, we all got on the tube at, forget what tube station the Apprentice House was near, but we got on the tube somewhere. Uh, and of course, the production company had chaperones with us to look after us to make sure we got around where we needed to and also to stop us from talking about the task when we were away from camera and so on and so everybody got onto this tube train um and i was i must have been daydreaming or something so i didn't right and so you've got all of the other cast members on the train but you've also got all of the production people on the train and then me on the platform on my own now obviously i'd been to london a bunch of times at this point i would have been fine i probably just would have got on the tube went one station down and met them but the production people understandably given that this was their job to look after us absolutely shit themselves because to their mind there was this random 16 year old kid who they were in charge of looking after and making sure i stayed all right stuck on a tube platform on his own as they were all on a train that was about to whiz past and so a bunch of them like grabbed the tube doors pulled them open um and i think that was probably the most dramatic eight seconds of filming the apprentice uh, from a tea point of view, from a drama point of view, there really isn't much. Um, one of the favourite facts of mine that I like to wheel out is that Nick Hewer, the person who Claude now plays the role of, so to speak, um, he, on the second task, just before I got fired, was so critical of me, was so critical of like what I had done and how I would blow with the wind, I think he said, and yet... He didn't say a single word to me during the entire time filming, even during the final where people were walking out of the tunnel of White Hart Lane, which is where the final intro was produced and we were all back on. People would be walking past him, he'd be saying, hi Alice, hi Maria, blanked me. And so I do still to this day, although I'm sure he didn't mean any malice by it, I'm still confused as to why he was so critical of me having never spoken to me, never been on task with me. Um, but there we go. It's all good TV. Uh, when you told us about your driving test, do you think it gave you motivation to pass or added pressure? So this is an interesting one because what I did with my driving test is what I have done with a bunch of big challenging things in life, right? So the context around, I don't know, 14 months ago, I finally, after many years of putting it off, took my driving lessons, did my driving test, and thankfully I passed. But a few months before that, when I first started lessons uh, and got round to booking the test, I told everyone the date and I didn't realise. Apparently it's this like superstitious thing that you shouldn't tell people your driving test date because then it adds pressure. But actually that kind of pressure is why thrive on in as much as when I decided not to drink for the whole of 2000 and 18, 17, whenever I stopped drinking, it's been too long now, I don't know. But whenever I stopped drinking, right, that first three or four days when I had this idea in my head that I would like to stop drinking alcohol for a year, 
I literally went on Twitter on like the 4th of January and tweeted, I'm going to try and not drink this year. And the reason I did that is because although a couple of people were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like you're definitely going to drink. It's not going to work. When I call myself out publicly and make myself accountable, both to people I know and also to strangers, it helps keep me focused on the task in hand. It helps keep me uh, motivated towards doing the right thing in the moments when it's hard. And although the same can't necessarily be said about the driving test, because you only get one chance to do it, it's binary, right? You either pass or you fail. Telling people my intentions and then making sure that I follow through with those intentions, doing what I say I'm going to do, which is a massive value of mine, something that I think is so important in life to do what you say you're going to do. If I were to keep private all of my ambitions, if I were to be secretive about the things that I want to get done or the things I want to achieve, I would then be accountable to nobody but myself. And whilst I think that I am fairly good at being accountable to myself, we all know the things that I constantly speak about, right? Willpower is finite. We only have so much of it. Um, environmental factors mean that some of our best intentions often go to waste. If I'm accountable to myself, but also to hundreds of other people through sharing tweets and podcasts and posts about things I want to do. Yes, it adds pressure to answer the question, but for me at least, that pressure is a motivation. I don't know if that's some weird chip on my shoulder from when I was like four and can't remember these formative years that I need to prove to people that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, or whether it's just because I realise that that is a useful hack to get stuff done in life. But when I say I'm going to do something, so long as my, I'm not stubborn in it, right? If my values change or if a situation changes or if I no longer believe in something, happy to sack it off. But generally, when I say I'm going to do something and I really believe in it, I think it's helpful to tell other people to kind of call yourself out and then allow other people to just have a passing comment. Oh, how's that? How's that not drinking thing going? Uh, how are you getting on with your driving lessons? You know, how are you getting on with, I don't know, not drinking caffeine for a month as I once did? Um, it's interesting because then there's a whole new dynamic to being accountable to those around you as well. Uh, the best lesson you've learned either through a guest or just from podcasting in general, and this is from Will. Probably that if you're consistent with something, not to sound like a broken record because this answer is slightly different, I promise. If you're consistent with something, you will progress. If you stick at something for long enough and just put in the reps, just do it over and over and over again, you will get better. Now, I don't think that I was bad at communicating two years ago when I started the podcast. I don't think that I lacked huge amounts of confidence. However, doing this a hundred times over, just sitting here, talking, uploading, putting it out there for a hundred weeks in a row. You know, between week six and seven, if I were to compare the two, no difference. Between weeks 74 and 75, if I can to compare the two, no difference. But if I were to compare the way I spoke on episode one compared to the way I can now speak, if I were to compare my confidence more generally in conversation and the confidence that I have to actually 
articulate my thoughts and not be embarrassed and not be scared to think that somebody's going to think you're silly for having a certain thought. Somebody's going to think you're an idiot for holding a certain opinion or viewing the world in a certain way, but actually understanding that it's good to talk, right? It's good to have conversation. And whilst you may not always agree with somebody, like two people coming together who disagree and then arriving at this third point of understanding is way more valuable than just lacking confidence and holding in all of your own ideas and then feeling slightly uh, misunderstood or feeling like you're not really reaching your potential. If I compare the version of myself two years ago, who was terrified to sit in front of a camera, sit in front of a microphone, even sit in front of somebody I don't know, whether it was a friend of a friend or a new client, and actually just speak, actually just be true, rather than making small talk about the weather or wheeling out some kind of half-scripted thing about, you know, uh, some story from business, but just talking, just asking questions, just looking to understand somebody and build deeper connections, right? Sitting here and doing this, this podcast, but really this thing where I just talk and learning that it's okay when you talk, it's all fine. I think that that's the thing that podcasting has taught me, right? Not only has it, at least in my opinion, made me a more effective communicator and it will continue to do that. Episode 200, for example, will be way more polished than this episode. Same will be true with 300 and 400 and so on, right? But also just the confidence to actually speak to actually communicate because now this sounds dramatic but I genuinely believe this to be true most people don't ever speak their truth right other than maybe in the most intimate settings with the people closest to them which is fine by the way but I think that that is a a life not fully lived whereas if everybody you encounter whether online or in person whether somebody you've known for years or somebody you've just met If you have the confidence to trust yourself to say the right thing and in doing so to understand that person more, to build a deeper connection, to learn something from them, that is literally a key to unlocking so much in life. And I don't believe that if I didn't have this podcast, I would have believed that, if that makes sense. Like it sounds theoretical that talking to everyone and being really open and honest and hiding nothing and being vulnerable and listening and learning and accepting other people's opinions is positive. Sure, theoretically, that sounds fine, but I'm not sure I would have ever put myself through the discomfort of learning that face-to-face in person, right? There's probably something like 60 or 70 hours of this podcast. To have 60 or 70 hours of like open, thoughtful, meaningful conversation with people you don't know in the real world would take years and years. And so I think that this podcast has sped up the the process of me arriving at that point where I'm happy to just talk. Uh, this one's from Kevin. Looking back at the 99 episodes, which one are you most proud of and which was the most difficult to record? Huge congratulations for hitting 100 too. Uh, Kevin, thank you. I know you've been here since episode one. You always come through with wicked question, wicked questions. Really appreciate it. Um, which was the most difficult to record I'll start with. So there's a guest episode and I will not name the guest. They were brilliant in as much as they gave me their time. They gave thoughtful and meaningful answers to every question I asked. Um, and they didn't need to, right? But there were a couple of factors going on in the background, like the fact that they, uh, because their previous engagement had overran 
they turned up really late. Um, and because of that, we had like a really condensed time to, to get the conversation done. And I think that there were perhaps, and I'm making an assumption here, but external pressures on this guest on the particular day where they had to deal with stuff. And so understandably and naturally, the conversation with some random person from the internet wasn't front and center of a focus at the time. And so whilst I won't go into details of what episode that was, that was definitely the most difficult to record. A, because in the moment, it was just hard, right, to retain somebody's attention and whilst appreciating and understanding the fact that they had stuff going on, trying to still get a good conversation out of it, right? Because the last thing you want to do is scrap it or say, should we do this again? Because these people are busy. But then also on reflection, when I listen back to it, although it's actually a good episode, when I go and listen back to it, I think it's really good. It still makes you question, like, could I have done more? Could I have said something differently or approached a question differently? Was I not being engaging enough and so on? And so definitely that was the most difficult episode to record. Um, which am I most proud of? I don't really know. There are a few, especially in the early days, um, you know, when, for example, when my dad had to go into hospital and then into a care home, or when Marco died, like these were big fucking events in life that people don't talk about publicly. Um, and they're scary to talk about in as much as like, other than for the few people listening to this who actually know me, like in the nicest way possible, you and I are strangers to each other. And so finding it within myself to not shy away from a big thing which had happened in any given week, but actually to just be like, you know what? here's a podcast this week, something difficult happened, I'm going to tell you about it. They're probably the episodes I'm proudest of, not because they got the most listens or downloads, not because they were the best content or the most engaging things to listen to, but because I was actually true to the brief, right? I said that this podcast was going to be a journal of sorts where I just openly and honestly tell the story of growing as a person and part of growing as a person is going through difficult things and kind of resolving those things in your mind and talking about them and sharing them and so the episodes I'm most proud of was I can't think of the numbers in particular or the the kind of wider context of them are definitely the ones where I've had to speak about something publicly which is either quite private or just quite difficult to talk about I think. I think this one was asked as a joke from Adam, but I'm going to answer it anyway, because actually I think that there is a little bit of philosophy in this, right? So he says, where do you get your fashion inspo from? And I'm sure this is a joke because a few days earlier I had commented on Adam's picture saying that he is a fashion icon because his outfit was great. But there is a slight bit of rhyme and reason as to why I always wear basically the same outfit, right? If you were to look at my Instagram nine times out of ten I'm wearing black jeans or black joggers white socks a black t-shirt probably with no branding on and like a black jumper or hoodie uh, two reasons for this and I think that they are both important as fickle as fashion is in my opinion as much as I disagree with thinking about how you dress too much I am just as guilty of it as somebody who wears expensive designer clothes for example in as much as I actually do give a little bit of thought as to the reasons why I wear these things so two things. Number one, 
I think it's really important to be comfortable in what you're wearing uh, and to not feel kind of hindered or a bit self-conscious or judged or whatever it is. All of these things are irrational, sure. But nonetheless, I think it's important to feel comfortable in any situation with how you're dressed. And so, you know, I don't feel comfortable in a suit. I don't think that suits suit me particularly well. Um, Or even in formal dress, right? Trousers and a shirt and a tie, God forbid, and bloody shoes. So when I go to meetings now, fortunately, like this is a privileged position to be in, don't get me wrong, but I just dress the same. I wear black jeans and a black t-shirt and some trainers. When I'm recording a podcast for somebody else's podcast, I wear black jeans, black t-shirt and some trainers. When I'm going to uh, an event or a party or a gig, black jeans, uh, trainers, black t-shirt. And so I think that the way I dress is important in the sense that I don't have to think about it so I can be confident, right? If that makes sense. And then the second thing is that I think it's important to limit needless decisions in life and this is definitely something that I have and millions of other people have borrowed from the likes of Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg so if you look at any pictures of somebody like Steve Jobs or somebody like Mark Zuckerberg they wear the same outfit every single day and that's not because they're making some kind of uh, statement with their fashion, but it's actually because it reduces the number of decisions that they need to make. I mentioned maybe 20 minutes ago the fact that willpower is a finite resource. We only have so much of it within us on any given day, right? Think of it like a bank balance. And every time you make a decision, however big or small, you're slowly depleting that balance. You're slowly chipping away at that resource that you need to make good decisions and that you need to kind of stay on track with whatever it is you want to do. And so when you have decisions which seem trivial but actually deplete that balance in my opinion they are wasted decisions and so going back to the first point that I like to feel comfortable in what I'm wearing if I had a bunch of different colors and brands and styles and fits and shoes and all this stuff that I had in a wardrobe that I put in front of me at the beginning of the day And then I had to reconcile with the fact that from this big collection of stuff, I need to find stuff that I'm going to be confident and comfortable in so I can go about my day. As trivial as it is, I would be making a sacrifice in either one direction or the other there, right? I would either be massively depleting my willpower and decision-making abilities for the day for no bloody reason, or I would be chucking on anything without thinking about it and as such potentially putting at risk that whole being confident thing and so I just wear the same thing every day I own maybe five pairs of black jeans two pairs of black joggers however many pairs of socks like 10 black t-shirts a couple of black hoodies and that is what I wear nothing else and so there we go and then the final question this one is from Zach and I've put this at the end because it is kind of a nice link as to why this podcast will continue so he said why are you still making the podcast and then he was careful to say at the end of his question that he's not trying to be a dickhead in asking this he, he just means like what keeps you going right and I think I've kind of touched on this but it's a nice place to round off the reason that I'm still going with this podcast despite the fact that it costs me time it is something which is bolted on to the end of already very busy working days it costs me money right the equipment 
the the hosting fees and so on and it doesn't make any money and it probably never will make any money right because you have to be at a reasonably high level of attention and listenership to be making any sort of decent money from a podcast the reason i still do it is because i get so much from it i know i've already spoken about this i won't go over uh, the points i've already made but i truly believe that if this was a monetary transaction right if i had to pay a certain amount of money to make this podcast and then i had to put a value on what i get back from it from like a clarity of mind point of view from being able to process thoughts from the conversations that come from this podcast I am making a profit every single time. Like there is no way that I am losing this this theoretical money in this transaction. I get far more from this podcast than I could ever imagine putting into it. And so I can't see a time in which I stop doing this podcast. Genuinely. I'm sure like when I'm 42 and have kids and a bloody wife i'm sure it'll be different when i'm like oh honey i'm just gonna go like uh, stick dinner in the microwave i'm just gonna go and record a podcast for these people on the internet like might be a different story then but for as long as i see my life in this kind of space where i'm trying my best to grow and evolve and build things and uh, kind of learn there's nothing better there's nothing more valuable than the 30 or 40 minutes that i spend each week sitting down in front of this microphone sharing my thoughts and just putting them out there into the world and so there we go uh, that is all of the questions i don't know how long this has been this has definitely been longer than the average episode um, however thank you as always for listening i do have a couple of favors to ask you if you haven't already and you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to life and lessons the reason being there are going to be a bunch of interesting episodes coming out at the beginning of next year and if you've kind of tagged along on this episode because it's a nice milestone one but you're not already subscribed because last time you listened was a year and a half ago just click that button it'll make sure that when you open the app when these big interesting guest episodes are published you'll have a chance to see them even if you don't listen, you'll be able to see who they're with and you'll have a chance to think, might give that one a go. And secondly, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you might not know, you might not have seen that actually this episode is also on YouTube. This is the first episode that I've sat with a camera in front of me and recorded it, put it up online as a video. Uh, and the reason for that is I really want to double down on this podcast in a bunch of different ways in 2022 and one of those is not publishing all of the episodes as videos because frankly it's not always going to be possible or appropriate i'm not always going to be in the right places to have a camera and all this setup and lighting and so on but certainly with the big guest episodes where i think that the the kind of body language and the gestures of somebody and even just looking somebody in the eye will help convey the points that somebody is making better than just audio and tonation ever could on their own. I want to put them on YouTube. And so in the show notes of this episode, if you're listening on Apple, if you're listening on Spotify, there'll be a YouTube link down there. Do me a favor, scroll down now, click on that link and just subscribe. Uh, there's probably going to be no episodes on there for a little while, but when those guest episodes do start coming out, at least you'll be able to see them and decide if you want to give them a watch. I think that really is everything. 
Uh, thank you as always for listening. I'll be back in the new year, January the 7th, I think it's the first Friday of 2022. So that is when we'll be back with episode number 101. Uh, until then, like I say, thank you for listening. Have a good Christmas, have a good new year, and I'll see you back here in January for episode number 101 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.